All right, I got a question for the men. How many of you have ever had to apologize to your wives? <laughs> That's probably not the right lead, is it, Jim? That's a good point. How many of you have ever had to apologize for, to your wives for something you did in her dream? Huh? Okay, see? All right. Yeah. It's crazy stuff, isn't it? When you get married, it's like... Uh, and you know what? My wife has all the dreams. I, I, I don't dream, but apparently a couple nights ago, I, I did. And, and I, she goes, you, you, did you know what you were doing last night? And I said, what are you talking about? She said, well, you just set up in bed and said, Bilbo Baggins, the hobbits, the ring. I'm like, oh my gosh, I must have been Tolkien in my sleep. I think your, uh, your move was funnier, Jim, but that's okay. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, in Palm Bay, the land. We're so glad that you're watching. If you're watching at home, thank you for, for being there. And how good is this to see uh, the building filling up again? We praise God for that. Um, <clears throat> we're going to look at Isaiah 52 today. We're going to finish that chapter. And it's a passage you probably know well, but you may not know how wonderful it is. If the passage says, Blessed are the feet of those who bring good news. They proclaim peace, they bring salvation, and they bring a message that our God reigns. That's verse 7. I, I hope you'll memorize You'll memorize Isaiah 52, verse 7, because it is just so loaded with good information. But you, you think about God saying, Blessed are your feet. Now, nobody knows your feet like you know your feet. And they're disgusting. Is that right? Yeah. It, that's why we wear shoes, because we don't want people to see what our feet actually look like. It's the worst part, the worst feature of all of, all of our bodies. And yet, in Scripture, he says, Blessed are the feet. So we'll get to that in just a second. If you'll stand out of respect for God's Word, we'll start in verse 7 and finish the chapter. <clears throat> How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, and who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people, he has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing. Come out from it and be pure, you who carry the vessels of the Lord. But you will not leave in haste or go in flight, for the Lord will go before you. The God of Israel will be your rear guard. You can be seated. God likes the feet, but why does he like the feet? He said, 
He said, blessed are the feet of those who bring good news. Let me take you back in time. If you don't know where the idea of a marathon came from, 26.2 miles, that's a little strange, isn't it? Why not 26? Why not 25? It's from the ancient battle that happened at Marathon, Greece. And the battle was the battlefield was 26.2 miles back to Athens. And in ancient warriors, they had runners. So you want to be a runner. There's a better chance you're not going to get killed because your job is not to fight. Your job is to run. So you stay in shape. And the fastest guy or the fastest two or three guys would be sent back because usually one or two of them would drop along the way. So the message is of a man leaving the battle site, running back, and the king would have people watching a certain spot on the mountain because when the runner popped over that hill, they, could, they would say, hey, here he comes, here he comes. And then the king starts asking, is he bringing good news? Is he bringing bad news? Can you tell by how he's running? Can you, can you, how does he look? And all, all these things are going on. That's the imagery that's here. And he says, blessed are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, I dare say that we've all had our share of bad news. Publicly, privately, our families, individually. There, there's no shortage of people to bring me negativity. There's no shortage of people to tell you what you're doing wrong. But how wonderful is it when somebody brings you good news? And God said, blessed are the feet of those who bring it. So our job is like, well, what's, so, what's the application here? The application is taking our feet and using them for the kingdom of God. How many of you want to be cursed by God? How many came to church today to be cursed by God? No. We want to be blessed. So he tells you how. He said, God blesses the feet who do what? Bring good news. Proclaim peace. Bring salvation. And proclaim a message that our God reigns. That's, a, that's pretty straightforward is what our job is. Now, there's a lot of ways that that can get done. It can get done through shoeboxes. It can get through through uh, mission trips. It can be done through teaching in the children's department. There's so many ways to bring the good news. You don't have to. You don't have to preach, teach. You could. Doesn't have to. Some of you are saying I could never do this. Some of you are saying I could do what Joe does a whole lot better than Joe does it. That's okay. The goal is to get the gospel to people, and that's why we're pushing so hard for next week. You know what? I know people all over the world that risk their lives every single day to invite somebody to a Bible study. That's what it's like. That's what it's like in the Middle East and Southeast Asia. That's always a possibility. I don't think that any of us are going to risk our lives to invite somebody to church. You might get cussed at. You might get ignored. You might just get a flat no. Uh, but if you ask a few people, I guarantee you somebody will come. And you can change somebody's eternity. But I want to tell you what today's culture, what I think it looks like. I'll give you a picture and then I'll give you a quote. But this is, a, this is, this is sort of our society right here. They see somebody dying. They see something tragic happening on the street. Rather than help somebody, they take a video of it. Sadly, this could be applied to the church very simply. That we know people are going to hell, we know we've got the good news, and we're more worried about talking about how bad the culture is than we are about bringing good news. 
about bringing a message of hope and salvation. And again, I love how Jude says it. Jude said, we should snatch people out of the fire. That means we're after people who are already long gone. Some of you were long gone when somebody grabbed you and Jesus turned your life around. Coach Lou Holtz, Arkansas, Notre Dame. They asked him, what's the difference in the players of old and the players today? He said, simply, today's athletes talk about rights and privileges. Fifty years ago, they talked about obligations and responsibilities. The same could be said in the church. It's real easy to get that mindset in the church that says, well, what's this church got for me? What are you going to do for me? How are you going to help? Listen, everything we got for you, Jesus paid for on the cross, right? That's done, finished, complete. What could I give you beyond that? Your sins have been forgiven if you accept Jesus Christ. Your response should be, how do I bring good news? How does God bless my feet? How can I be a part of this? Psalm 18. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and he able, enables me to stand on the heights. We so often think, wow, it's gotta be, it's gotta be some production. It's gotta be, you know, I gotta do this or that. No, you pack two shoe boxes and what happens? One more child enters into heaven. It's that simple. Which, whichever, all the stuff we do, everything we're throwing out at you are things that are meant to transform the, the world, society. Instead of being angry, and listen, I can get angry at the news in a heartbeat. But rather than be angry at Afghanistan, you've invested almost $200,000 to share the gospel on the streets of the most dangerous country in the world. Isn't that incredible? All right, what's going to happen when you get to heaven? And I'll tell you what, they don't look like us. They don't sound like us. You'll be in heaven and there'll be a bunch of guys with turbans standing beside you and you'll wonder how they got there. And it's because we gave and because those, those Afghan Christians had the courage to hold their ground and share the love of Jesus Christ with people. That's, that's what's so incredible about our God. Now, when we get to the second part, it's about our reaction. All right. Luke chapter 10, verse 20. Jesus is in, a, um, is in a good mood. He sent the disciples out. They've gone out. They've preached. And they're blown away that demons are paying attention to them. They're, they're, they're praying against demons and demons are coming out of people. And they come back and they are pumped. Because, wow, Jesus, you won't believe it, but we had the greatest day. We did this and we did this and they just responded to your name. Here's what Jesus said. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. That's the only thing that matters, isn't it? All right. So there's people that can be a whole lot different than us. All right. Some of your neighbors are weird. Some of our family's weird. Let's just be real. Do we want them to go to heaven? Well, of course we do. Of course we do. So what are we going to do about that? We pray. We invite. We go. We do anything we can to help that lost person find that connection. But Jesus said, what you rejoice in is the fact that your eternity is taken care of. But now, in today's society, here's my fear. We got that last part and we go like, I'm going to heaven, so it's all good. Yeah, but the world's not. Your city's not. Your city's going to double in population in the next three years. 
We've got a chance to change the world just by winning Ormond Beach to Jesus. Do you, do, you, do you get that? I mean, isn't that crazy? Because everybody's got connections. They move here from New York. We win them to Jesus. They start talking to their friends back in New York. We win somebody from Egypt, and they have friends in Egypt, and the gospel goes back. And there's so many ways for us to do it. It's just the answer is to get up and do something so big that if God's not in it, you'll fail. It's easy to say, oh, I'll, okay, I'll, I'll do a shoebox. Okay, I'm thankful. Thank you. But is that going to stretch you? Is that really going to stretch your faith? You say, well, I'll do a hundred then. Okay, is that going to stretch your faith? Until it stretches your faith, we haven't really gotten anywhere yet. And in our society, we really sort of run away from opportunities to truly live our faith. But then the message is that our God reigns, and he says, then all of the watchers, all right, I guess I would qualify as a watcher. I think a lot of us qualify as watchers. But when we hear the news that our God reigns, there's only one response to that. What is it? Sing. To sing. Because singing is a celebration. You want to know why the government was coming after churches to stop singing? Now, singing is so much more dangerous than protesting. But, but they know, the evil side knows that singing is where the power is. They don't really understand it, but I'll tell you this. David wrote it this way. David said, God inhabits the praise of his people. What does that tell you? God lives inside of our worship. So you can be here in church, not be a Christian. You can be here in church and not worship. Everybody around you can worship. That doesn't mean you're worshiping. It's got to be your voice, your mind, your hands that go up, your hands that clap. It's, it's, you, you can be here and never participate at all. You can spend your life in this building and never once worship God. God inhabits the the worship of his people. God will fill you when you sing. Don't worry about what you sound like. I sound horrible. That's why I'll sing um, from the front row because then nobody else can hear me. It's okay. It's all right. God's got a filter. He'll handle that. But the command is when you understand this, and, and this is the message that so scares our culture today, is that our God reigns. That is a message that our world cannot handle. Now, a, a Cuban friend of mine kind of opened my eyes so that I, instead of being angry, I would be more compassionate. And he said, Joe, I want you to imagine if the heavens opened and instead of Jesus, it was Buddha. He said, how would you feel? I said, that'd be a bad day. He goes, yeah. And there's a lot of people who are Buddhist and and Muslims and atheists, and that's where they're at. The heavens are going to open. It's going to be Jesus, and they're going to be lost. And he said, so instead of getting angry, we've got to get passionate about praying for and reaching those people. And listen, the worship part is so powerful because it, it lets people see where our hearts are. They, well, where do they go? Well, every Sunday they go to church. Well, every Tuesday, they're in this Bible study or host this group or, oh yeah, they're always doing, people watch what we're doing and they want to see that it's real before they jump in. This would never happen here, but a friend of mine sent me a letter and he said, the biggest problem we have in our country is a lot of the Christians are hypocrites. 
I couldn't relate to that, so I really didn't know what he was talking about. But uh, he said they got a bunch of non-Christians, they put them on a boat, and they went out in this body of water, and they had a three-day seminar. And basically said, listen, pay no attention to the people you've seen that call themselves Christians. Let us teach you from the Word of God. And 16 people on the boat accepted Christ. A bunch of other people came back to the Lord. But they were frustrated because all they had seen of Christianity didn't give them a good picture of Christianity. Guys, that's why worship is so important. So important that we're living the right way. John Bunyan, 16th century author, Pilgrim's Progress, he said this. He said, you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you can't do more than pray until you've prayed. Let's just spin that a little bit. You can do more than worship after you've worshipped, but you can't do more than worship until you've worshipped. And that's, that's the priority. And then, and then at the last part, God says, I've got your back. If you didn't see that, he said, he said, I will cover you in the front and I will be your rear guard. Now, the imagery there comes from the time when the Israelites were crossing uh, out of Egypt going toward the promised land. Anybody remember the story of the pillars? They were led by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. But interestingly, it's the same pillar. There, there would be, if you've never been in the Sahara Desert, I'll just give you a clue. It's really hot. It's really hot. And so during the day, they're following a, 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 a pillar that's a cloud. The cloud is covering and probably six million people. They try to, people try to minimize this miracle. This is, this is God putting on a show. The cloud covers these six million people so they don't roast to death walking across the desert. But I'll tell you something else. At night, the Sahara Desert gets mighty cold. And at night, the pillar would go to the back of the Israelite camp and become fire, which would keep the enemy away and do what for the people of Israel? Would keep them warm. That's the analogy here. God said, I'm in front of you and I'm behind you. Now, let's just posit this for a minute. What would you do for God if you knew you couldn't lose? What would you, what would happen? What, what, maybe you, do we restore a marriage that you think's unrestorable because you realize now God's got the front and the back and he can make this work? Do you fix a relationship that's been broken? Do you decide, you know what, I want this kind of God. I need to accept Jesus. You come right over here. There'll be folks to meet you, push the button online, I've decided. What would you attempt for God knowing that you cannot fail? I think more than anything, we let fear rule us. Well, what if I do this and then this happens? Well, I mean, at some point, do you trust God or not? What if I do a shoebox and my transmission goes out? I, I don't have an answer for that. I, I don't know. Um, the question is, what does God want me to do? And it's easy to get stuck because God makes promises. And he told us he's coming back to get us. How many of you believe that? All right. Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead. He's coming back to get us. But not always on our timetable. Let me give you some guys in, in history that struggled through this. David had to wait nine years to become king. He's already been anointed king. Nine years. Saul chases him all over the wilderness. He's hiding in caves. It's, he's running for his life nine years. 
Joseph, 13 years, most of those in an Egyptian prison. Abraham waited 25 years to have a child that God told him he would have. Moses waited 40 years talking to sheep before he was ready. Jesus waited 30 years to start his ministry. So just because something's not happening right now does not mean that God's not at work. Because the promise is that he's in front of you and he's behind you. And he will bless us if we do what? If we keep bringing the good news. Psalm 5 says it this way. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them that those who love your name may rejoice in you. I'll finish with this story. A farmer's son came up to him and he said, Dad, do your hands hurt? And his dad put out his hands and they were wrinkled and bloodied. And, and the dad looked at his son. He said, son, do you have food to eat? He said, yes, sir, I do. He said, do you have a roof over your head? He said, yes, sir, I do. He said, do you have clothes to wear? He said, yes, sir, I do. And dad said, well, then my hands don't hurt. In Hebrews 12, it says, For the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross because of what was coming. So if you ask Jesus today, do your hands hurt? He would say, no, because I did it for all of you. Father, as we wrap this up and we go into this last song, I don't know what needs to happen. I don't know who needs to invite people, who needs to work on their worship time. Their commitment to be in the word, to sing praises to your name. Or the impossible thing that they need to try because they found out that there's a God who's in front of them and behind them. But we do want that blessing because we're proclaiming peace and bringing good news that our God reigns. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.